Uh, how much do you think it would cost Anathem to commission Kon Noyoko to make a podcast intro for us? I think a lot of money. <laughs> I think I, you know what I'm going to guess, like a million. Okay. That we'll feels, work towards that. That feels big. Yeah, that's our goal. Support us on Patreon. <laughs> Chiaki747 or Animated Empress on Twitter. One's private, one's public. I think I'm funny on both. With me today are NFM staffer Mercedes Cluis and but why those Kate Sanchez. How are you two doing? I'm very excited to talk Bebop. <laughs> I I am also similarly really excited about this. Um, I yeah. think I think yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, um, you know, just to get quickly get into what this show is about, uh, Cowboy Bebop is a science fiction space western based on the 1998 anime series Cowboy Bebop, uh, the same name, directed by Watanabe Shinichiro. Um, and I would like to take a moment to also acknowledge that, you know, just yesterday when, when we were recording this um uh, Nobumoto Keiko, the screenwriter for this uh, series, and who also wrote uh, Wolf's Rain, Tokyo Godfathers, and uh, some some of uh, Macros Plus, just passed away. So coming off from a little sad news. But we're not here to talk about the anime. We're ta- here to talk about the live action show, uh, which is by Christopher Yost, the writer for The Mandalorian, Thor Ragnarok, and uh, The Dark World. Yeah, as well as other. One of those shines through. I was gonna. I was gonna <laughs> say, don't people like the mandal? But they don't like Thor: The Dark World. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! And it stars a pretty good cast of people, actually. I mean, I really like John Cho. Um, mm. I've known him since Better Luck Tomorrow, um, and also, you know, Harold and Kumar. Uh, as well as the Star Trek reboot. Um, Mustafa Shakir, who was uh, Bushmaster from the Luke Cage show. Mm-hmm. And Daniela Pineda, I'm Pineda, guessing it's Pineda, yeah. yeah. Uh, of the originals and uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It's 10 episodes. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> it's 10 episodes all on Netflix. And uh, what are people's uh, thoughts on it? Just one word thoughts, real quick. It's fine. <laughs> With that intonation, it's fine. It um, it sure likes black people, huh? Uh. <laughs> that's really, that's really all I can say. It's just like, hmm. you know, I was watching it, and my impression was, it sure is a cyberpunk. Yeah, no. this feels like what Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven actually is. yeah i'm coming and swinging i don't know how you can take a diverse cast and somehow make it less diverse than the anime (laughs) (laughs) i don't get it i don't well before we get too far into the weeds here let's go with a little bit of the our personal histories um uh, well, I watched Cowboy Bebop back when it first premiered back in, what, 98, 99, Cartoon mm. Network. I watched it dubbed rather, uh, rather than subbed because that was the way to watch anime back in the days. Um, really liked the music. Still it was- the way to watch anime for some people. Fair. Like, for me, a lot of the times because I don't have time. Same, um, same. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, also, I'm just Japanese, so I just watch it usually <laughs> without subs even um but yeah um this this show was uh pretty fundamental for me because uh it's what really got me into wanting to play jazz in school and carried me through high school just playing the sax um chiaki you didn't tell me you were that cool 
No, I mean, I was a that's band so nerd. Cool, I was a band nerd. That's the least cool thing you can be in a school. Uh, but like sax, though. Like sax right. is the coolest. Yeah, I played bass clarinet. How? What kind of pool do you think I had? <laughs> like, <laughs> like bass clarinet? Sax is cool. Okay, okay. So how about y'all? I've never seen this series. Like, this... Um, interestingly let's go with that word this was interestingly my first way of engaging with cowboy bebop i love that actually i that's and i'll i guess i'll talk about that later but i I love seeing people i honestly do like this being people's first intro um Mm -hmm. because i think it has gotten people interested in going back to the original for me uh, much like chiaki um I watched this when it was on Adult Swim. It was my first introduction into adult anime, quote unquote adult anime, you know, like more mature. It's something that is so influential influential in my life um, because it's one of the anime that I have been able to really bridge gaps with people who don't like anime. Um, or who who don't know that they like anime yet is probably the better way to say that mm-hmm. um, because it is very much rooted in, um, you know, American Westerns and American science fiction and American music. And so it's been a way for me to communicate with people and get people like kind of, it, it's the gateway I often lead people to because it's like very easy, um, easy in a way that like there's a lot of like ways to connect to it. Um, but for my own personal thing, um, I rewatch Cowboy Bebop probably once a year, um, the original anime mm-hmm. and I watch it in dub only, uh, cause it, it's, it's one of those where like, I'm a person, if it's the first thing I hear, I have to kind of stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have had a growing relationship with the series in that when I first watched it, I was like, okay, cool. Space Western dope. Then I saw Serenity. It was like, yo, Serenity's just reskin Cowboy Bebop. What are y'all doing? Um, and then I went back and I watched it. And so like, it's evolved with me. And now where I am in my life for me, Cowboy Bebop has become a really beautiful story in understanding your trauma, um, understanding what confronting that looks like, and also understanding what being consumed by it looks like. And I wrote a piece for But Why Though about this, where like, I, I've been able to understand the the last credit line, which is you're going to carry that weight, um, and that title card. And yes, anime dudes on the internet, I know it's a reference to the Beatles, but I also know that it's also like the encapsulation of the whole show. I've rambled on for a long time, but all that is to say, Cowboy Bebop means something very important to me. I also love live action anime, like a lot. Like I love live action adaptations. Um, I watch a lot of them, um, especially because I had a podcast just based on that. And when I do film festivals, a lot of the time I'm seeking out like the manga and anime live actions. Um, and this one for me felt like it was the one that could be done right because I feel like Watanabe's work um, just really lends to it because there's not a lot of like gap bridging. It seems like the closest, at least for um, Carolyn Tuesday and mm. Cowboy Bebop. So I was actually really excited for the live action. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> 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 well, maybe I'll keep you on here for a quick couple more seconds. Um, you know, how, how hard do you think uh, Netflix was trying to appeal to the Bebop fan base in making this? Um... You know, I've asked myself that like a lot because mm-hmm. there are some really beautiful moments like at the end, the, the ending of episode one. It's mm-hmm. gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like it is nearly shot for shot in the best way. And there are moments where you can tell that like, oh, somebody who is new to this may not understand this, but I get it. And I get to be the Leonardo DiCaprio gif. But then it, it feels almost surface level. Like mm-hmm. that is where I think it stopped. Like mm-hmm. I think they were like, we're going to throw in as much as we can that will visually get fans involved while missing that a lot of Bebop fans who rewatch this series all the time or who are just in love with it are connected to it, not necessarily just because of visuals. So I think they tried, mm-hmm. but I think they did not understand that 
attachment to any anime or any piece of media isn't just surface level. So mm. I think that's where they stopped. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can kind of understand that because I felt the first three episodes of the live action show was really kind of phoning it in. It's like, hey, this is the Bebop live action. You should check it out because it's it's the Bebop live action. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I felt like after that, once uh, Faye comes into the scene and they start doing getting into more of the story, the overarching story of the series. It picks up. It, it picks up. Yeah, I feel like it picks up better. It picks up better, but then also like they did my girl Faye not well in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. It and I'll I'll say like being the kind of outsider like episode one was interesting to me because you get Spike, you get Jet, you get, and I'm so sorry I'm calling Vicious this, discount Geralt of Rivia gone wild. It hurts me. It hurts me, but you're not wrong, Mercedes. I'm not wrong, That's why it hurts. (laughs) Yeah, like, you get these characters, and I think if you were someone coming into this, because, like, I should say, I didn't, here's the thing I know about Cowboy Bebop. Um, So long, Space Cowboy, what is the expression? See you, space cowboy. <laughs> um, yeah. I know jazz, and um, that's really it. Oh, Faye Valentine. But like coming in, that first episode did a lot of really good table setting. But also, I agree. Like episode four, where you get a little bit more of the world. Like I found it intensely interesting that we find out that dogs are a luxury item. Mm-hmm. Like that was a weird, like little neat tidbit that was kind of missing from the front, where you're just like, oh yeah, now it picks up. But I don't. There's a lot, there's a lot that I wish they would have done up front to get me someone who's not invested, invested. Because it did feel like it was like for the fans. Yeah. Um, and and not for people just casually like flipping through Netflix. Or, you know, people yeah. like me who had an who had people like me who had a very intense firefly phase in college. <laughs> hey, I did too, until I watched Cow We Up after it. But then yeah. Serenity came out and I was like, yo, I, I'm still here. I'm still here. I mean, you know, <laughs> take my heart, take my land. <laughs> like, and <laughs> ironically, though, both series kind of suffer with some of the similar, some very yeah. similar problems. And I think that that's, I think that that's probably where we find ourselves in like this weird space is like, because for me, to be honest, when this was announced, and I kind of already said, like, there is a lot in Watanabe's work that actually really translates well and could be adapted Mm. by a a U.S. company and by a U.S. producer and stuff, but they have to understand what makes it work. So, like, I actually think Firefly is the first Cowboy Bebop (laughs) live action um, when you actually, like, take it at its base, but it it, it works, that worked for fans um, because it understood the intricacies of not just showing something on the surface, but showing how characters relate to each other, showing how characters relate to a system that they're stuck in and showing why the guys in the gray, the gray part of the world, you know, the, I don't want to say anti-heroes, but you know, that, that middle section, they're not mm. good, they're not bad, why they are who they are. And I think that that for me is what, the Netflix live action kind of lacks because mm. a lot of it is just we're gonna vibe. We're vibing with yeah. with with Cowboy Bebop. That that's what it looks like. I feel like a lot of it was produced to just be just vibes, yo. And like yeah. <laughs> take this screenshot, take this this piece. And I think that what is frustrating about it for me is that the caliber of the actors, the visual looks of the actors, like they have those pieces and they actually, their chemistry works very well together. But I think that there were big misses on actually getting at what fans wanted, like what makes Mm -hmm. it special. Like what makes Bebop special isn't necessarily, it isn't just the jazz. It's how the jazz and the music works to push the narrative what makes bebop special isn't just the really cool red ship it's how that ship is implemented in scenes who is flying it like and i feel like there was in in the writing room there was a lot of like this is a really cool looking anime that people like let's make this a real cool looking show yeah and it's it's interesting because like netflix does have a number of live action adaptations that are good um my personal trash is the kakegurui yes which is so good it knows the assignment. Kakegurui saw, like, it came, 
and it did what it needed to do. And then mm-hmm. it was like, you know what would be good is if we got a bunch of live action actors to do this. And it's great. Yeah. It's excellent. It's campy at some points. It's really dramatic. It's 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 just at the point of being like too much. And I would even say, and I it's probably people might not like this, but like I actually think the bleep the bleach live action is really good. Mm-hmm. And I know that that wasn't necessarily a Netflix production. That was more of a Netflix acquiring rights. Mm-hmm. But like when we look at like live actions that have had like American studio involvement. So like WB has actually produced quite a number of them. They can work. And I think for like the bleach live action is a really good example is that you're doing something that is bringing in some panels that are one for one, but also understands the spirit of what you're doing. So like the hollows may not look exact to what the hollows are in the manga or the anime, but they still have that grandstanding nature. Ichigo and Rukia may not look exactly like they're in the anime, but their dynamic and their montage moments are like, they hit that chemistry. And so I think when you're adapting something and you're like, okay, I know, like, I know why people like this, you know, or I understand the heart of what this is doing. That goes a lot further than I put somebody in the exact same costume. Yeah. And I think it's also why Kakagori works. Like the live action Kakagori, like even the films, they're so so good. good. It's so good. Like, it's so good. I mean, Kakegurui, and this is not Kakegurui podcast, so I will (laughs) hold myself back. Kakegurui is good because, like, it understands over the top. And so does the live action. The live action understands how to be really dramatic in a very playful, but, like, still really enjoyable way. Like, my girl shouting, get your gambling freak on. That feels good. And here, I'm just like... Like it looks, they look like the characters. They look like they look like really high budget cosplayers, which is great. But then the script just doesn't reflect what I would consider fun. And I, I do find it ironic comparing it against Firefly, which I know a lot of people feel very divisive about. <laughs> I find it ironic comparing it with that because these are both two shows that got canceled after first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and both, while Netflix chose to air Bebop in the right order and Fox did not air Firefly in the right order, I find it interesting that two shows that have a very fraught relationship with cyberpunk and Asian, specifically Far East Asian cultures, both kind of got canceled. Um, but for two very different reasons. Um, yeah. This just feels like Netflix just really didn't. I think I can just end the sentence there, huh? Just really didn't. Just really didn't. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I also think too, like the cancellation piece, I was always under the assumption that it was going to be a miniseries. Like the early press mm, releases that I got from mm. Netflix said miniseries. Okay, that's interesting. For me, I was wondering how, how that um, cancellation came about. I'm guessing it was just uh, the amount of negative press the show was getting was just turning this show into anathema for uh, Netflix to want to be associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it was maybe a pump and dump kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so interesting when you think of like Netflix grosses tens of billions and like this show was in the number one, but that's just not enough. It just still didn't kind of say that. Yeah, because I think it's one of those things, and I I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix has people that do that. Like, what you have to factor in hate watching. Mm -hmm. You have to factor that in. And so it's like when you're judging a show's, like, longevity, like, how much can you, like, get somebody back to do the hate watching? Well, And And also, they're out of material. They're out. Yeah. They're out of material. But... and that's that's what's interesting though, because like I think of Tiger King. This is such a weird show to bring God. in. Tiger King, which we Tiger that's King unhinged to like another ti- level, right? Ti- and I should say I am in the city where Tiger King's Tiger King Joe Exotic is in jail at. <laughs> so, oh God! Yeah, I mean he's in Dallas. Like, and so it's it's interesting because people hate watched that, and like that has all these spinoff interviews and stuff and documentaries and these poor people keep getting re-traumatized but like it's got a second season it's got a whole documentary i will say though how much of that was i'm gonna start by hate watching this and then i'm gonna like it at the end because i i watched it because like god i was like i don't know if we can cuss on here sorry i was like i have to watch this thing everybody's watching it first episode was like this is dumb i can't do this why am i watching this and then by the last episode i was like oh god i'm in it (laughs) yeah like i'm here now I guess I like am like eating up this narrative and I watched season two season two is just awful like that should never have been made but like I watched all of it because I was like okay well I I bought in on season one right so I'll watch season two and I wonder if 
there's just like it didn't sound like anybody bought into it yeah uh, yeah it, i mean it it does feel like as far as cowboy bebop goes the ending to the you know the show was setting it up for like hey there's gonna be more because the ending is more closer to episode five rather than 26 where you know 26 is definitive like everyone is dead everything is kind of wrapped up kind of ending well while episode five was still like spike almost bit the dust but you know he made it through um so i was guessing more you know from what i was also looking you know cowboy bebop was potentially the writers wanted to while while still being cowboy bebop uh make their own show that's not cowboy bebop and i assume that you know season two would take it to a place where it's something totally different Mm. um you know come up with something a little bit more original as far as the narrative goes and i was you know i was kind of interested in seeing more about it but at the same time as far as the where the show left off with all the characters and how they're interacting uh aside from like julia i was just kind of like i'm not really too invested at this point yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, can I get a spinoff about like hashtag girl boss Julia? <laughs> oh yes, I mean Julia said, "What is the phrase like, gatekeep girl boss something?" I, I and I mean, and like I'm going off of only the context of Netflix's adaptation. <sighs> That's all I know about her is like, uh, she she well, rises up. Yeah, well, feels I, a little reductive though. I think mm. that this is one of the things that bothers me, and even about like the potential for a second season with how it ends. I hated the ending, like the last episode for Cowboy Bebop, because like it felt like it robbed me of the emotional impact of the actual series. Mm-hmm. Because the important thing of assuming that Spike is dead is because it's supposed to teach you about like barreling towards your own destruction and like mm. not turning away from it. Whereas every other character has confronted their trauma, confronted their pain, processed that, and been like, okay, I'm, I'm going to carry this weight now and move on. Spike carries the weight in the wrong way. Spike just cannot stop obsessing over this. Spike cannot stop being driven by his, his trauma, and it's his end. He's consumed by it. And for me, especially with Julia and Vicious, that's what makes that a powerful storyline. That's what makes Bebop something larger than just a space Western. Um, And so the way that everything happens in the show, it feels like it gutted out that emotional core. Um, And it's, it's in the ending of the, of the season. And it it is for me, the big thing was when Faye specifically says, I'm not going to carry that weight. Like, why would you do that? Like, because it's not about like, because I saw somebody tweet about like, oh, I loved it because it meant that Faye is bigger than what I was like, no, like in the show. And this is why I hate when people who don't understand Faye as a character just comment on her, say that she's only there to be sexualized. Like Faye for me was actually a really powerful character in that I learned that it was okay to utilize a sexuality that people weaponize against you. Mm. and that was something that was extremely powerful so when they showed her her costume it actually bothered me because i was like okay you covered her up quite a bit um and that like i I didn't like that at first and then when i watched it it was very toned down she didn't seem as much as a femme fatale she didn't seem as much as she understood other people's weaknesses to use it against them and she when she said that line i was like no Faye's entire character arc is about learning how to live with the fact that she has lost everything. It's about learning how to live with the fact that she will never get back to where she was. She's a person out of time. Right. Cause I, so I, I found this out only after, and I think it was like seeing you talk about it, Kate, and like just other people online that I guess Faye had been like cryogenically ah. asleep. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, she wakes up, quite like decades later and like ends up in huge massive medical debt to which I was like oh no I see America's still at it um (laughs) and like in the live action she's just kind of like 
full of little quips and she cusses and um she's she's bisexual at the very least Mm -hmm. yeah and like which which is which is fine which which is fine she's also never seen a dog um but like it felt even for me really reductive because i was like her big trait is like she swears and that makes her like an edgy woman and i was like i don't i even i can tell that maybe this was not how she was in the source Mm -hmm. and it, it it feels she was my least favorite character she essentially like netflix did exactly what i was scared that they were gonna do which was essentially say to be progressive we watch we must remove sex from this character and that was something that really bothered me because i think when we look at and this i think it happens a lot with anime too where people are like oh this character has a revealing outfit or big breasts and that automatically makes them something that isn't okay and sometimes that's the case like the female like ninja and naruto should not all look that way um so i get it but also there are characters who are drawn and written with intention like Faye's arc was written by a woman in the original series and that was important Faye was not somebody who was made for male consumption Faye existed as somebody who critiqued that who was literally cryogenically frozen, awakened in severe medical debt and taken full advantage of by a man who she trusted. And it isn't about her saying, well, I'm not going to carry this weight they're putting on me. It's about, no, I'm actually going to have to process everything that has happened to me and learn how to keep moving and move on from it instead of being completely consumed by it. And yeah, I... Faye just means a lot to me, like, like deeply. She's how I learned that sex wasn't bad and being sexy wasn't bad and you could still be strong and be those things. That's what she was for me. And when I see her in this, it's kind of like, well, she got a girl boss it up. She has to, you know, we're going to move by these perspectives. And I'm like, that's not, that's not as feminist as you think it is, Netflix. yeah. I, I was also wondering as far as, you know, how her background was changed and also like Jet too, but, you know, I feel like the show really whitewashes and sanitizes the uh, the backgrounds yeah. uh, considerably. Um, You're right. From being like, you know, about medical debt to just, oh, it's just uh, identity theft and just wife's action. It's like it has no co- uh, social commentary. Yeah. It removes the politicalness of Cowboy Bebop from it. Yeah, because yeah, I when I when I tell y'all that I found out how political this was, I was blown away because I was like, "That's not the show I watched." Yo, <laughs> this is the Jet, show I watched. <laughs> I am still so mad about Jet because oh, Jet's yeah. entire reason for leaving the police force is because he realizes that bounty hunters are more moral than the cops. Oh, that's oh, that's mm-hmm. that's why he leaves because it's not just about his partner being crooked; it's about the entire institution being bad. Yeah, and and that's I, why he leaves. Here, it's, it's like, oh no, one bad egg, one mm. bad egg, and oh no, and, and also he his he's entirely driven by the fact that he's a dad. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> well, and I I I have to say, I think it's Jet Jet strikes me, and I guess Jet strikes me particularly interesting because I did not realize he was not black in the anime, and I find it a really interesting decision that Netflix is given him this plot line that's greatly whitewashed but actually does a lot of harm because he's now a black man yeah mm-hmm. like the whole dirty cop that whole ooh, i was just like Ooh, oh god and like i mean there's in there and i just have to ask i have to ask both of you <laughs> the woman i don't know her name that like i think it's an episode three that they twice. meet mm-hmm is she in the original this horny thirsty white woman no. who made me so, oh god because like that no. also that also i was like surely this was not in the original surely netflix no. added this in for fun because when she said you are black and you are male i was like it was bad mm. it was, I was bad i was like i gotta finish this for the podcast well, <laughs> so like i will say it is one of those things is like so um jet's voice actor is black um oh that's like, interesting I forgot his name he's he's iconic i outlaw outlaw star uh, we bebop uh, i literally sat at a panel with him at my first anime convention um, um are we talking about uh bo billingsley yes yes bo billingsley there we go uh, 
I believe so. I believe Wait, that's yo, the fourth Hokage. <laughs> We're gonna, you're gonna hear some clicking because I'm gonna make sure. Yes, Bo Billingsley. That is who it is. That is him. And so, because of how dynamic his performance is, and also just because of his love of the character, a lot of fans have like they don't see Jet as somebody who isn't black. So, mm-hmm. not so casting a black man in the role of Jet for Cowboy Bebop, I think, was a natural choice. But I actually, I would love to hear what you would what you think about Jet's storyline in the anime because I actually think there is a lot of what could have done right if they had kept this storyline with a black man mm-hmm. because of how he does interact with the police force and that he came out of because okay. a lot of the original storyline is him believing he's doing good mm-hmm. in a system that should be doing good and ultimately mm-hmm. understanding that like no matter how much i want this to be a moral compass for the world it's never gonna be that it's never gonna take care of me it's never gonna take care of people i have to work outside Gosh. of it and that for me holds more power if we had had that in the in the live action with a black man as 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 jet like officially and not just as a voice they really defanged a lot of I, what, that's, that's really what i'm realizing is that they've really defanged a lot of the story because like the more i hear about it because i had a i had that and i i mean you know I can't avoid it. I'm black. That's where a lot of my issue actually with the live action yeah. was, was like episode three was just, it was a test in patience because there was a, I did not know there was blackface and I, I'm still not sure if that's in the original series. Everyone, a lot of people replied to me on Twitter when I was like, Oh, I didn't know that this was going to happen. Um, and it seems like there's a lot, I got kind of confused, but like the live action seems to have, taken all of the political aspect out which just leaves some moments feeling deeply uncomfortable and it's yeah it's really a shame because i really wish netflix had cared yeah um because i there's space for good live action this is netflix just did not care yeah no i mean well it's one of those things too is like when you look back at like when you look at people talking about like things that don't age well in cowboy bebop like they talk about like Faye having big boobs and i'm like that's that's not what you think it is Mm. um and i think a lot of it too is so like the issue with cowboy bebop in the original is a lot of people see it as stereotyping for black characters but from and obviously i am not black i'm just brown um and like i think that like there are also issues with like Latin representation in the original Cowboy Bebop, but not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because a lot of the characters, and specifically when you think back to Mushroom Samba in the original, it mm-hmm. is very much living in exploitation era. So Cowboy Bebop exists as a space Western that embraces exploitation cinema. So it's looking at a lot of black yeah. black exploitation to okay, draw yeah. the root for some of its characters. So that's what the original does. Because that's what episode three of the live action made me think i was like because and i just have to say when i think his name was hakeem mm-hmm. which when they told me that this white boy's yes. name was hakeem i was like really netflix i'm paying 14.99 a month and i was <laughs> but like they do that and when he like does the like cloaking thing he looks like a black man from the 1970s mm-hmm. he's clearly drawing he looks like i think I compared him to Shaz from Final Fantasy 13, but he looks, <laughs> he kind of looks like that shaft, that black exploitation era yeah. look. And so I was like, it's clear, clearly like they're drawing on this iconography, which yeah. I didn't have a problem with that. It was just that I was like, I don't understand them why this character wasn't just yeah. a black dude. No, 100%. Like, like 100%. And I think that that's where those misses happen is like, I don't think that netflix understood what what the nabi understood when he was creating bebop which is like okay i'm not gonna lie i feel like netflix adapted this was like oh this is a japanese anime therefore we're gonna go through this lens instead of Mm -hmm. understanding it's like oh this is a japanese anime that actually took a lot of american popular culture and brought them together into something that is special yeah um because that's what cowboy bebop is like the fact that you can't nail a cowboy bebop app, app uh 
live action is actually really distressing for live actions in the US because like it's really easy. It's like Alita level easy because of how much is there to pull from. It it felt like that thing that and this is me just calling out every single anime fan that's ever thought this. It that it's that thing of where a lot of people watch anime and they're like, it's not political. So like mm-hmm. so like there's this assumption that you can You're just correct. kind of that you can just kind of like transfer it between medium to medium yes. to medium and like mo- all anime is political by proxy of cool japan all anime is political because yeah. it's operating under a very specific government program yeah. <laughs> so like it's all political but like to say that cowboy bebop is not political when watanabe very clearly uh i mean i don't like i don't know anything about carol on tuesday I do know that one of the leads is clearly brown, and if I'm correct, she's black. Yeah, she's black, and Carolyn Tuesday has a giant immigration subplot. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. like, and I mean, you know, and I mean, you don't even have to, if you want to break free of one creator's work, you can look at Promare. Yeah. Wherein, I mean, like, you know, you can look at, you can look at Naruto is political. Like, it's all political, and political's not bad, but it feels like what Netflix was trying to do by defanging it is kind of placing it in this timelessness that Firefly has created. And that I would argue that like Quentin Tarantino's works have also created of it's not political. It's just fun, but it is political. And like, I would have loved to know that Faye dealt with medical debt versus like, and I, and I, and I will say like, I can only speak as a black person. I can't speak as someone who's Brown, but I find it interesting. Faye being turned, Faye being changed from Singapore, Porn, I Korean, yeah, it's a Latina. Yeah. And I found that really interesting. And I don't think Netflix uh knew how to handle that because I think then they put some really not great like stereotypes on her. Yeah. And and like I said, I can't speak well, to that. Part of me actually wonders if they desexualized her because they casted a Latina. Because one of our mm. issues is Latinas only ever being showcased as hypersexual beings. Yeah. Um mm. but also that actually would have worked super well with Faye because she understands the sexualization that people put on her to then use to overcome them. So like it was right there. You served it up to yourself and then you just ran away from it. It's all right because she cusses a lot. And that's what the anime viewers <laughs> That's are. a real strong woman. That's, that, that's, yeah. that's representation. Knows how to use a knife. Yeah. Oh my god, okay, real quick though. Yeah. No! Like, I like I can't sorry, I'm like you have probably noticed that uh code switching Kate's podcast voice has now switched just into Kate talking out Kate talks. She doesn't like she she don't know how to use it. But she she it, okay. The fact that we see I'm probably putting the the like audio levels through the roof, but this is what bothers me. This is what bothers me with American and honestly all Western action. They do not trust women to do fight choreography. If you watch any fight chore- any any fight that is choreographed for Faye, mm-hmm. it is moving at about half speed of John Cho's, half speed of any other male actor that is happening, and it is most noticeable in that very first fight that she has with Spike. It is so bad. Like, yeah. go and watch it, and then watch when the men get to fight. Because for her, it's either homegirl didn't learn the choreography and she had to do it slow, or you didn't trust her to co- to fight on par with the men in the scene, and you slowed down the choreography for her. Either way, you were literally taking one of the, like, she is probably the toughest out of all of them when it comes to hand-to-hand. Mm-hmm. and you're taking it away it's all right because she gets to say welcome to the ouch mother truckers so <laughs> that makes her tough right anyway i'm sorry for losing my absolute <laughs> no, right there it's but like okay. it, it's, it's true me. it's where's the lie though it's true I because mean, like they they slow her down they're mm-hmm. like it's like they're staging the fight but that was the final cut and they just didn't tell yeah. anyone <laughs> it's, it's so, all right good. we're ready for the 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 full full shot right no we're good good. yeah yeah man yeah phase characterization it's not bags it hurts me and it hurts me deeply and i think that it it hurts me in a way that when we strip characters down that have any sort of sexualization 
what we're doing is we're not making it progressive or feminist. We're saying that anybody who also has those traits, who also embraces their sexuality, who also wields their sexuality, they are wrong. They can't fit into this representation of feminism and strength. And it bothers me deeply. And what also bothers me is it also buys into the stereotype that everything about anime is something that is sexual new to like, oh no, I don't watch hentai. Which like, anime has its issues, but like also there's nothing wrong with watching any sort of erotica (laughs) or reading any sort of erotica. And there's nothing wrong unless a character is written in a misogynistic way to have to be less costume or to yeah. be more, you know oh yeah and it, it it hurts me because when i see and it's not even just with like japanese works like the same thing happens when we look at um if you look at any sort of international media especially versus the u.s like the women are it in order to be seen as a strong woman you have to <laughs> you have to cuss you have to be more masculine in some traits. You can't show too much skin. You can't really like sex. You have to you forsake have... sexuality. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's this overcorrection that shows a misunderstanding of what we're talking about when we're saying, hey, just don't give me, you know, scantily clad women. We're not saying don't give a scantily clad women. We're saying, hey, make her a full character. Mm-hmm. Like, I like it's the same reason why I love seeing shirtless men. You can have a shirtless man, just make sure he's a full character. And most of the time they are. And when I see these types of adapting or adjustments done, it's a misunderstanding of the assignment. The assignment mm-hmm. isn't remove the sex. The assignment is balance it with the dynamic character arc. It's it's a very second wave feminism. Yeah. Like very white centric feminist thing to think like a strong woman cannot also want to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Like yeah. It, no, yeah. but like putting it bluntly like it is because it's this notion of like that is something that like is constructed that you should do but like there's yeah. actually a lot of reclamation in yeah. sex and sexuality and it's actually it's very puritanical to Yeah. derive right. And I and I should say I should say more than women to derive marginalized genders yes. of sex and sexuality. And I yeah. mean we we can look you know we can look in the real world right now and see what's happening in American politics with abortion to see yeah. that deriving people of sexual rights is not good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it it is really a shame in a show in a show that's oddly oddly horny. Yes, and very steeped in sex. <laughs> <laughs> like that it's like but the women they yeah. get to have it. well and i think that that's what bothered me with Faye even more is because she's surrounded by sex yeah and mm-hmm. she doesn't get to wield that power and also mercedes and i, I don't want to speak for you at all but i would like your perspective i know for me when i see conversations about women are who are too hippie who, who are drawn with too much hip or drawn to too much with too much breast and i'm like like oh well that's automatically wrong you know we need more and i'm like wait hold up because <laughs> right. these are the things that my people have yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I mean, what are you doing by get, like by even pushing this eurocentric view of like what beauty is and what strength is and that's exactly what it is right because like being raised with black femininity like my body looks a certain way yes i have a large bust i have hips and within that you know i'm i'm a fat person like myself but i'm curvy as well yeah. and like that has there is a history of that still trying to be and i'm gonna use the word tamed yeah because it is right it's this it's this we, i think about lizzo last year when she was at was it at a basketball game and her skirt had like a cutout that revealed yeah. her wrong, and people lost their minds you thought I mean, you'd have thought that like something real bad had happened and people lost their mind because a woman with bigger body parts that are curvier showed those body parts. Like you couldn't see them beneath her clothes. You couldn't see from the outline of her clothes that like, and, and it does, it feels like this really reduction, reductional Eurocentric thing of like, what we want are women who have controlled bodies. Like that's Mm. a good woman. And like, I, and I, and, you know, I mean, for anyone of a marginalized gender that like 
that's a lot of experience if you're black or brown. It's like you need to have a good controlled body and that good controlled body cannot want sex. It cannot want, all it should want is to be within the gender it was assigned and to be within the identities that were assigned. And like, no thank it, you. Um, <laughs> not to like derail this into like something else. Like mm-hmm. we'll, we'll definitely come back to how we view it. But I, I think a lot about there was this, um, there is this piece written by like this, this renowned white feminist in gaming Twitter, um, she was writing about how Far Cry 6, which is a video game that is based in a fictional Caribbean, um, Latin Caribbean island. They were replicating Cuba. Um, uh, They were saying that how progressive it was because the female character, who is a brown woman, um, had a small bust and had muscles and had you know xyz and looked like a normal woman and i was like excuse me normal to who because you like i'm all with you on muscle ladies yes let's go but also you are literally saying the body type of the people that are represented in that game in real life is somehow not okay like and i and it's one of these things where they focused in on the gender and left out the racial and ethnic components that come Mm. with it and when i look at something like bebop especially with having um pineda cast as faye you could have done a lot of social commentary with her as faye you could have embraced it and you could have tackled it and they chose to actively run away with it as you know y'all have said like they've defanged it they've taken away Mm. these larger issues and they've also taken away the darkness in some of these characters Mm. in a lot i think they've also done that with spike spike in the series progressively it's not just love it's obsession Mm -hmm. that is what spike has he is a man obsessed Mm -hmm. and i think that they kind of you know, whitewash a lot of that into just being mm, deep love. We and must save. And it's just the mouthy, you know, uh, asshole, you know, lovable yeah. asshole. And, and, like, that's all people are in the he's, show. He's quite interesting in and of itself, more, more so John Cho than Spike from my perspective, because that's who I know. Mm-hmm. He's interesting because, like, this version of, I'm just going to assume that the original by proxy of being made in Japan understand cyberpunk very differently yes. this is a show yeah. this is a show that decorates things when when vicious said moshi moshi and i was like we have not heard anyone speak japanese in this show until now and then he's like he says like um onegaishimasu at some point yeah. and i i was livid i was like i can't speak to this because i am not uh, Japanese or Chinese or in John Cho's case Korean, but mm-hmm. I was like, I am offended. <laughs> Mercedes, just want to, I, I just want you to know, like, I immediately got onto the NFM Slack channel, as, like <laughs> after Vicious said Moshi Moshi, I paused the show and then I went to Slack and said, we need to do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Because I, I missed, I missed the context for that, but when I saw that message, I was like, oh, I bet this was what made Chiaki like <laughs> because. Vicious just picks up his phone and you're expecting him to say hello. That homeboy, discount Geralt, hits it with that (laughs) moshi moshi. And you're like... And like, Vicious here is a white. Oh, yeah. white. And like, we can can talk about, you know, there's not, I don't know if we have time. There's issues around Vicious being kind of cast into the white albinos or evil trope, which Mm. is not good. I don't Mm -hmm. know what he looks like in the anime, but like... Homeboy hits that gray-haired anime villain. Yeah, homeboy hits that moshi moshi and that onegaishimas with all of the courage of a white college boy who just took three weeks of Japanese, (laughs) and like that is actually very generous. I would have said watch Naruto for the first time. Yeah, it's it's just it's just rough. And I was like, there's no point. And then, but then what I started noticing was I was like, oh, this world is steeped in Japanese culture. Oh yeah. yeah, it is like I mean, it is. It dipped I would, soaked in it. I would <laughs> argue more so than the anime. Yeah. Which is interesting. So, like, I feel like the anime has um, nods to cyberpunk, sort of the Asian fetishization of mm, cyberpunk, yeah. because 
the whole aesthetic is in Japan anyway, the Kowloon, Walled City, kind of Hong Kong. Um, is that vibe. what it is? Yeah, that's what people <laughs> like. You that's what Japanese folks it really like it because it's really yeah. alien. Okay. It's very okay. oppressive because, like, there's tall buildings, signs I've everywhere. Been, I've been trying to figure out Japan's thing with Kowloon, and thank God now I understand. Like, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's held like this sort of mystique. It's, it's, right. it's Japan's version of. What if, you know, what if everything, what if LA turned Japanese? It's, it's like, what if okay. uh, Japan became yeah. China? It's, well, I think very, it's got that that's kind of. Japan. Oh, so go ahead. Yeah. But like, you know, it, it takes that and in, in recreating, you know, Flixbox Pier, uh, it, I feel it does a disservice to continue to play to those tropes of. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's cyberpunk. So, of course, there's going to be Japanese signs and Chinese signs and Korean yeah. all over the place. Like, and it's the whole thing is rooted like cyberpunk's entire route back in like the 80s was the fear of Japan Inc. Right. Yeah. It's it's like yeah. Asians are going to take over the West yeah. West world, Western yeah. world, and everyone's going to be speaking Chinese at the dinner table. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I, I'm so sorry to keep swinging it back to Firefly, but I just think that that's the closest parallel, right? Is like, mm. it's interesting because I remember when I was first introduced to Firefly, my white friend that my a white former friend who introduced it to me was like, oh, it's really neat because Chinese, this is a world where China like became the dominant country in like space travel and space faring. And I remember at the end, I was like, they only cuss in Chinese. Like they don't. Yeah. No one just sits down and has a conversation. And there's really, there's nary a Chinese person to be found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's interesting here with Flixbox, Flix, Flixbop, God, that is a hard word to say, <laughs> with Netflix Bebop. Um, it's interesting because, like, once again, Asian people, and really other than, really specifically, like, Japanese culture and Korean culture, it's just really nice decoration. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's not we don't encounter other than john cho anyone who's from eastern asia like that has a significant like which doesn't make you reflexively cringe role which is where i reiterate they somehow made this less diverse than the 90s anime this this has a very like it has a tick in the boxes like we gotta have a black dude and like someone it was checkboxes that's exactly what this was it was checkboxes which is what a lot of american like uh, american white liberal like honestly i know this is like the way like right-wing like people talk about it like white liberal hollywood is Mm -hmm. very much focused on diversity checkboxes they're not focused on actual representation or how do we actually do like bake it in right they're about colorblind casting and making sure we have an x and a y and a z and not about how do we actually craft a story that is representative of cultures that is taking into account what happens when i put a, a black character in this or a latina character in this and that's where it misses and i think that that's one of the things that it kind of it whitewashes mm-hmm. In, in the in the racial sense, whitewashes the world of Cowboy Bebop because there is a beauty that I find in future like futuristic space representations that we get in Alita and Cowboy Bebop, where you have and even Carolyn Tuesday, a melding of cultures to an a to an extent where you see, you know, you see like uh, African inspiration and Asian inspiration and like Latin inspiration and like these different pieces coming together in one world in different pieces mm-hmm. um, that we don't get in this live action series. It, it, I, it makes, Oh, you go ahead. Oh, yeah. uh, I think like there's also this sort of insidiousness about this mm. throughout um, because, you know, the, en- the whole enemies of, the villains of bebop is vicious and the syndicate right and the syndicate is this asian themed you know gang yeah. uh with like the very chinese looking uh yeah. heads heads of the uh, organization and then at the very end it's revealed it's vicious's white guy father who's like yeah. the head of all of this so it's it's kind of like it's Fraud. asians are to it, it's it plays into like 
Asians are going to take over, like Asian mentality is going to take over. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's going to be the white guy at the top anyway. Yeah, it's this weird message of comfort that I think a lot, a very specific group of white people Mm -hmm. really take a lot of comfort with, which is like, hey, it's all right. The brown and black people aren't going to come for you. In the end, like, you're still going to have a slice of the pie. And for a show that seems to really push back about against that in the source material, and, like, maybe this will be, like, my 2022 series that I really hyper-focus on. For a show that seems to push back on that, it's really a shame that that's the message Netflix just left you with. Is like, And, and I mean, even in the end, when Julia takes over, she's still a white woman. Yeah. Like, am I supposed to feel more comfortable? That's the pinnacle of diversity, Mercedes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I forgot. And you know what? She doesn't have blue eyes, so it really is. I it know. really is. Yeah. I, you know, she's I don't. Not, she's not a brunette either. Like, she's the most true. Like, I, I should feel more comfortable that my white overlord. <laughs> like, she understands my marginalization. She does. She and it's, too is marginalized. It's just like, you know what? Um, like, what is it? Is it gatekeep girl, gatekeep girl gatekeep boss, boss marginalized? Yeah. <laughs> I So I will right. add to, like, mm-hmm. I think that this is one of the things that even outside the utter whiteness and appropriative behavior of the syndicate in uh, in representation in, in, in the live action, mm-hmm. what bugs me about Vicious and the syndicate in the live action is that it's like, like, like mustache twirly evil. It's not <laughs> like the ever present thing you have to escape from evil because mm-hmm. in the anime, when John Cho, or not John Cho, why did I call it John Cho? When Spike, well, that's why, in the anime, when Spike is hurtling towards his demise, it's towards a specter in his head for the most part. We see Vicious in moments. We see Vicious in small pieces. We don't see Vicious as much as we see Vicious in the live action. Mm-hmm. We don't see the syndicate as much as we see the syndicate in the live action. We see them kind of as this boogeyman almost that's kind of hiding behind things and is always there, but also never there. And what we don't see is what builds Vicious up into this big, like this big bad and makes the ending episode of Cowboy Bebop so impactful and so tense because we finally get to see it. We get to see the collision court. We get to see the collision between Spike and Vicious. And because we have seen Vicious through mostly Spike's like interpretation of him, it hits harder. But in this, it's just like, I'm going to be evil, man. Yeah. Like, it's it's not great. Dr. Eggman in the new Sonic movies is more intimidating. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> And he's also whiny. Like they made um like I if if anybody who's listening follows me on Twitter, you know that I love me a hot anime villain. I got a problem. <laughs> I can I can fix him. I can hug him to understanding, or I can have a very nice night before he kills me. It's fine either way. Oh my god. Sakuna call me. But you 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 get a lot of that intrigue because there's a lot of like depth and mystery and that's what makes vicious really evil and really hot in the anime and all of that is just taken away to where he just seems like a brat throwing a temper tantrum most of the time in the live action yeah he's not he's just like what you're like why is spike obsessed with this man like why he's not he's nothing they were they were rivals in high school you know (laughs) Like jock kid and jock boy, you know. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, my gosh. oh my gosh! You're not wrong. Anyway, um, since we are coming to the hour, let us wrap things up uh, quickly. Just uh, to summarize our conversation, ultimately, do you feel that Netflix's uh, Cowboy Bebop is something worth even checking out if you're moderate? moderately interested or you know should it be treated as something completely else i i would say if you're interested you've never you've never seen bebop you've never done anything i'm i am of the mind that the beautiful thing about netflix is cowboy bebop 
is that, and this is mostly for white fans, because to be honest, Mercedes, to your point, there's a lot you can't get past if you're <laughs> if you're not white in this in this series. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't mean that as a slant to the white fans who like this, but <laughs> they're like I do want to preface this with who has found power and representation in the show. I'm just gonna put it out there. Um, I've I've seen a lot of people explain how they love Faye here. Um, because she is explicitly bi. Um, I have seen um, people uh, talk about how they have, you know, love how they've seen like the connections between the two characters and stuff Mm. like that. Um, But it is very important to note that like it does come from a a very, if you come from a very specific background, that's probably what you will find. Um, But the beautiful thing about this series is that I do think that it has led more people to the existing bebop um and i don't want to take anything away from people who do love the live action because i i do know that they exist i have seen them um so i don't want to say throw it out um because i think that it can be somebody's gateway to the larger world of anime and and honestly the larger world of watanabe whose work is really some of the best out there especially when it comes to mixing music and um visual story like visual storytelling um so yeah i don't throw it out but i think there has to be a lot of asterisks to the you might like this um because i think you might like this if you have no knowledge of the original bebop I also think you will probably only have that reaction if you are not black or brown specifically. Yeah. Or Asian. Like, I think if you're white, I'm <laughs> sorry, that was a long way to say, I think white fans will like it. I feel bad now. I don't yeah. want it. I don't want to like malign it that way, but like there are just a lot of issues yeah. in this series when it comes to race and ethnicity. Well, and I, I was going to say like, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a bad series. I don't, I don't think it's a bad series. Like I still hold a lot of, I, I'm a really big believer in two things can exist at once, right? Like this is a show that grossly kind of mistreats a lot of really harmful, still prevalent tropes and kind of makes me anxious about like, well, in the future when I'm gone, you know, 10,000 years from now, are black people still going to be dealing with stereotypes like this? Is this kind of the future we're looking at? Um, but I also think like you can enjoy, you can enjoy things that are problematic. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff I like. Um, the one I always think about that I always throw out that I think people would be very shocked about me. So I was a really big fan of the rising of the shield hero. I read yeah. most of the novels through college, really liked them, really liked the world and the story. I do fully understand like it is got a lot of problems. It's got a lot of misogyny, but I think you can still engage with things and still critique them. I think that's what all three of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think give give the Netflix one a try. It, it For me, it is the gateway to Cowboy Bebop. It is what's going to make me get into the anime. Maybe I'll make a tweet thread about it. It's <laughs> helped me contextualize like a lot of things. I saw you tweeting about, Kate. Like I didn't understand at first the kind of um, upset about Faye's outfit until like sitting here listening to you. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I get it now knowing all this context of other things i think watch the netflix series but i think also like kate said you can't go into it without understanding that there are caveats yeah like if you're black and brown this is not a show that really necessarily envisions a future where any of the three of us um are treated fairly or as or treated as more than like set dressing yeah and i will say I think that that's also where a lot of, especially from the people that like I've seen talking about it who are existing fans do get frustrated because Bebop and honestly, Watanabe's work in general is very diverse and there's, you can, you can tell that there's a place for you in it um, when you're not, when you're not white, honestly. And I think that that was one of the things that drew me to this, to it in the same way that like, I prefer watching Star Trek. I love Star Wars. I, I am a big Star Wars person. I have lightsabers in my house. But like there is a there is a future in Star Trek where it is extremely diverse and that is what the future is. And in Star Wars, it's still a bunch of like white brunette women doing things. Mm. Um, you can still love the thing, like you said, but like I do like I do like to caveat it because I, I feel bad when I'm like when somebody who looks like me goes into something expecting to see themselves and it's like, oh crap, where am I? Um, and 
not saying that like the original was the best with it but like there is more diversity even in the background of the original cowboy bebop than we see here and i think that that's a shame yeah. but I, I i do agree with mercedes it is still worth a watch so i i mean i think i also agree um with mercedes as far as and 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 you too kate um like as far as uh my my thoughts on this i'm I am great at just turning my brain off and watching the most mindless dribble out there and like the horniest anime out there. I, I just like bring it on. Uh, and you know, if, if I'm zoning out and just watching this, it was, it was consumable. It was like, I, I, I had a few laughs admittedly. And I would say like, I came out thinking, all right, yeah, that was, that was entertainment. Um, I did also, you know, for this, you know, this, um, I guess, postmortem for the show, um, rewatch several key episodes of the anime. And when I was watching it, because it's been a few years for me since I watched the anime, um, I was like, wait, this show is so much better as an anime. <laughs> like, so, so much better. Everything is just, it works so much better. I forgot that this is what good, good entertainment is like so like i hope that if if you do watch the netflix bebop it you just don't stop there that you you take the initiative to go okay maybe it's time to watch the anime and see why people like that one much more anyway uh we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of chatty af and if you really enjoyed it you could consider joining our Patreon on www.patreon.com slash anime feminist, where we've just launched uh, some new tiers, including a $3 tier where you can suggest podcast topics. Uh, we also have a members only discord where a lot of uh, staff and community hang out. It's chill. We got waffles. Check it out. Uh, we appreciate any level of support though, and uh, including one-time donations. So you can donate through Kofi at ko-fi.com slash anime feminist and uh you know if you're interested in seeing our archives of other podcasts and our written articles by both staff and contributors uh drop on by to www.animefeminist.com on tumblr and twitter both at at anime feminist and one final plug even though this is a mouthful uh we just launched our merch store uh featuring art by terry archibald and uh neeks um who designed a bunch of really cool mascots and logos including trans magical guardian stuff uh and i got my own uh, coffee mug for myself uh you can check that out at animefeminist.com slash store regardless of all that we'll be seeing you space cowboy cowgirls cow people someday somewhere